This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. I'm your host, the Rhino, and with me I have my smooth talking partners, Silky, Sean, and Smooth Val. Do Welcome we, to Chapter Tactics. Do we get nicknames now? Is that part of the show? Smooth Val. Smooth Val is a pretty good name. <laughs> so I, I, pre- I prefer Viscous Val myself. Vi- vis- viscous. Ooh, the less smooth. Is travel play. through our ears with such viscosity. Less smooth. Kind of, <laughs> kind of gritty, even. Gritty, gritty, vi- gritty. I think gritty and viscous are ants, antonyms. I don't think they're the same. Antonyms? Is that? The I think word so. I don't even think they're in the viscous same. Viscous is like a thick, goopy. You know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Isn't, I'm, I'm pretty it sure. It implies fluidity. I'm pretty though. sure visco- viscosity and vis- viscous is like, you know, fluid going through something. Yeah, but this isn't a linguistics podcast. This is a 40k tactics podcast, and that is why you guys are here for the occasional bad Pablo jokes and 40k talk. And bad so, Pablo jokes. And bad and more bad Pablo. I know at least 10 of you guys are here hoping for another really bad Pablo joke. Um <laughs> I I know uh cuz I record in my house, my parents do occasionally look out for when I make a fool of myself and they usually smile at me and laugh. So, uh, anyways, moving on to the rest of the show. Unfortunately, last week, uh, there was a bit of a snafu. Uh, the warp is a fickle, fickle creature, and I lost half the podcast. It just disappeared. It's gone. I don't, I don't know what happened to it, uh, but I managed to salvage some of it, so I'm going to add that part of the podcast to the second half of this episode when, when I talk with Jeff and Skari uh, and about, talk about his latest victory with Dark Eldar. And I think it came at a perfect time because... We have four tournaments to cover today, and one of them was won by Dark Eldar, and it seems like we get a major Dark Eldar victory every month, without fail. We get a a list, and I think it's about time to talk about the Dark Eldar Menace, because that is what they're becoming. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Val. No, I was just going to say, I I mean, just anecdotally, they do seem to be rising to the top, uh, or at least certainly in the mix of every GT basically since the book has dropped so that is that that does have something to say whether or not it's just the meta hasn't shifted to adjust to them or that book is just op who knows but uh they're definitely out there i think you're getting a little bit of a a little bit of b like certainly part of it is just people don't really know what to do with them yet and a lot of people who had dark eldar sitting on their shelves for lord knows how many years since the end of fifth edition uh are taking the opportunity to come back out and play them again but 
absolutely they are a powerful book. They have a lot of really strong tools, and they have great allies in the form of Yanari, Craftworld Eldar, and Harlequins. So yeah. uh, I think I think Dark Eldar are a legit competitor these days. You've got to be ready to deal with them. I'm seeing yeah. a lot of mono-build Dark Eldar. Like, I assumed, you know, it would just be something used to pad craft worlds or whatever, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's Dark Eldar in a lot of cases doing it themselves. Yeah. I see I see decently often they have a craft world Eldar detachment mixed in, but not every time. Dark Eldar kind of want to be running three detachments of their own. So, I don't know. I think you got to take them both ways. <laughs> uh, anyways, um... Obvious joke aside, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of Dark Eldar oops, uh, this is competitive, or oops, I found something OP. Um, Just as I'm talking to people here in San San Diego who are running Dark Eldar, I I think that there's a lot of hidden gems in the faction, and as you guys will hear Skari talk about it, uh, a dedicated Dark Eldar player for years, if you guys remember two LVOs ago, he almost made the top eight with a pure Dark Eldar list in 7th edition. It was yeah. it was a ton of reaver jet bikes, and he he uh, allied in the most powerful Forge World flavorful thing uh, at the time, which was the Scathatch Wraith Knight, um, mm-hmm. and did really well. And he almost made it with a nearly pure Dark Eldar list at, at the LVO top eight. I think he was one point away from making the top eight. If he just scored one more point, he would have been in. So Scarry knows his stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, that was Lawrence Baker. He did that, not Scarry. Scarry was oh, different, okay. different, different, famous Dark Eldar player. I apologize. There's two to of both, them? To both. Yeah. There's Lawrence Baker's really good really good player in general, period. Yeah. Um, really I've, good Dark I've Eldar seen player. his name around a lot. <laughs> Tabletop tactics. Great stuff. Check them out, guys. Uh, I apologize to both of them. Scarry from Scarredcast is who I'm talking about. Um, a phenomenal Dark Eldar player, career Dark Eldar player even. And he, he managed to go undefeated at a really well-sized event with a lot of heavy hitting competition and it's just really great to hear someone who knows the faction so well talk about all of his rounds and intricate matchups and what he had to do to win and the stratagems and kind of the unique tactics so it's a great listen it's the second half of the episode definitely give that a listen not only if you're a dark eldar player but also if you're wondering how the dark eldar tick if you're worried about them and if i were you guys i would be worried about them because they they are definitely as val and sean set up powerhouse faction Mm -hmm. do we want to jump straight into the tournaments or do we have something else we want to hit first yeah so so before we jump into the tournaments there's one uh i i guess it i guess it's not an announcement but but kind of a kind of a a little focus into my 40k life right now i've been playing more 40k games lately um i i'm very sorry to say i haven't had a chance to play a lot of 40k games we've been very busy with the las vegas open or with the las vegas registration going up and etc cetera, etc cetera. could make excuses basically tired of making excuses and found uh time to start playing more 40k games so um i i am happy to say i i have not won a 40k game in a very long time but i've also had a lot of opportunities to win 40k games and i'm taking that mentality with me going into the summer um, so you could kind of say that I'm with you guys here who are trying to craft lists. I know a lot of you guys email me. Uh, you guys are getting ready for tournaments. You guys are getting ready for your big event that you want to do well at. Maybe you want to go three and two. Um, and I just want to let you know that I'm right there with you guys. I, I'm looking at the meta. I'm analyzing my list. I'm trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. Uh, I'm still torn between Adeptus Custodes, uh, Sisters of Battle, and a Knight. Um, I still don't know <laughs> what I really want to do. I'm kind of waiting on Forge World 
because um, I think that the Knight Codex is only going to be truly competitive. That is like top tier um, with the Forge World Knights. I, I don't know if Knights can do it. You are seeing own. the uh, Acheron a lot uh, running so around. So good. The Acheron is good, although I kind of feel like oh, I, I can't remember the names of the two new ones. The I think the Quest Valiant. Stars. Well, oh, I was the, thinking the, the, the and Valiant. Yeah, is the Valiant the one with the plasma and volcano cannon? No, that's the Castellan. That's, yeah. the, that's the Castellan. One. Okay, the Castellan is the one I have been seeing a lot of people try to work into lists uh, because you know you make it uh, your warlord for that four up invuln. You rotate ion shields for three up invuln, and it's just a lot of guns to deal with. Yeah. And I think at 610 points, which which in my opinion is the optimized build, um, yeah, but you can go yeah, 640, sure. 640 something, 645. Um, I think it's really great. It kind of fills the role of what the Storm Surges did uh, for mm-hmm. Tau back in 7th edition, though it doesn't fit them as well. It's not as durable as the Storm Surges were back then, because they were really, really durable back then. Yeah. It's still very hard to kill. Yes. Like if you're if you're putting it all together right, you've got six up feel no pain, three up invuln, twenty eight wounds. That's a lot to chew through. Right. And uh, one definite trend I'm noticing um, for that just people are talking about in general is the meta is trending towards small sub ten wound T five to T six units slash models. Uh, think like venoms. Mm. Uh, Talos engines as, as uh, Skari ran in his Dark Eldar list Carnifexes from Tyranids Demon Princes although de- yeah Demon Princes are in that they're, they're T6 I think I think Demon yeah. Princes T5, are T6 actually, yeah. they're T5 sub 10 wounds um, but there's a lot of a lot of that going around uh, specifically in ITC because there's not a secondary to really target them um, and a lot of those models mm-hmm. are also easily spammable because they come in units Right, because they they haven't quite hit that T seven threshold of like, oh my gosh, we can't have this in a squad. Um, so there's that, I, I, and uh, that's definitely reaching into the meta. And I think part of that is also the horde being such being in the meta for so long. Uh, you know, you talk about how how guard do really well, right? Because because uh, conscripts and infantry squads do so much work for you, um, especially when you run ninety to hundred of them. Uh, Brandon Grant, who you guys may have know, he, he's a pretty pretty good guard player. Um, he mm-hmm. every turn, every game, he keeps track of how much his his guardsmen kill, and it's not the first like sixty or seventy that die. It's always the last twenty or so that your opponent just can't kill. And uh, this, I think, the last tally in one of his games, I think they killed like two squads of of twenty bloodletters, a demon prince, and they tied up. Uh, um, well, I think it was Mortarian, one of the Primarchs, for like a combat and a half before they finally died, and they they just pulled so much weight for him. Um, so the point is, is Horde meta equals this weird T5, T6, sub-10 wounds unit spam meta, um, and then that's kind of where I'm leaning. Um, so I think Knights are, Knights are pretty good. They're, I think they've got an okay spot because they can kill those things. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how knights kind of pan out and all this. Uh, they they kind of play against like what you're saying, where like you have a lot of these mid range or low end units. We're not seeing very many people bringing really big impressive toys anymore, but that may change with knights. Um, they get a lot yeah. of really good stuff, um, yeah. and I think some of the other 
uh, big guys are kind of set to make a comeback as well. I've been seeing Magnus running around occasionally in lists. Uh, Tau are seeing the storm surges and riptides. It's like I think I think even even Bash Bros uh, appeared at, at one of the tournaments from a couple oh, weeks really? ago at the top table. Yeah, it was oh, uh, okay. Justin Curtis, I believe. Yeah, uh, was running uh, Magnus Mortarian. Interesting. I had not seen any uh, Bash Bros lists in quite a while but you know i wouldn't put it past it like those guys are still good yeah all right so let's we've got four tournaments to talk about we're going to talk about the dallas open the triumph gt the gentleman's gt and ladies uh, and that's the one reese and frankie attended this weekend and the beef and wing brawl uh, i want to give val mm -hmm. his due because i've been waiting two weeks to hear val's take on the beef and wing brawl <laughs> so val kick it away yeah, first of all, like big kudos to all the uh, the organizers behind the Beef and Wing Brawl. Got to meet the 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 uh, TO desk. Uh, the Beef and Wing crew have some really cool jerseys that they all roll around in, and uh, they did a great job getting the tables furnished. And you know, I mean, there were definitely some tables that were a little sparser. Almost looked by design that there was actually a mix of of tables that were heavy or 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 less heavy. Um, but I guess they would have had somewhere around 30, 32 tables in the room. And I have to say the quality of terrain that I got to play on was 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 very high. So overall, it was um, a really competently run show. Um, they, uh, you know, they started pretty close to on schedule and, um, you know, left enough room uh, to make sure everyone can get around the room properly. It was just a really well-run event. And it's, it's funny to take that for granted, but... I guess uh, sometimes when the wheels fall off, that really falls off, the internet blows up. You don't hear about it when it runs completely smoothly necessarily. So I just want to shout it out to them Never. just how just how well it went, and uh, I was really impressed by those guys. For my experience on the tabletop, however, wasn't that it was the train wreck? It was <laughs> uh, uh, speed painting polystyrene <laughs> at midnight. That was basically my game plan. Um, yeah, it was uh, definitely a rude awakening. I was running the the um, best towel list that I could sort of scramble together. I am having a bunch of stuff uh, commissioned painted right now by a, by a good friend who runs a, a little studio called Battle Brothers Painting. Little plug for him, uh, but he's doing. He did some Herculean stuff to get. I think he painted uh, four hammerheads, uh, about forty fire warriors, a commander, and a cadre fireblade for me in seven days. I didn't even ask him. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even ask him to do that. He was just like, what do you want from the tournament? I'm like, dude, like, don't worry about it. Like, It's all good. He's like, no, what do you want? I was like, I don't know. How many fire warriors can you do? He's like, well, this many. So anyway, I had this, I had this uh, list that I actually wound up really liking. Um, I wound up going with uh, about 45 fire warriors. Um, I had uh, uh, one um, basically a buff, uh, old school buff mander. He carried a heavy burst cannon and uh, didn't even have a drone controller on him. He was just there for sort of Montcalm. Um, which I found I used a lot more than Cayune, actually. That is something I have found with my Tau as well. Like, I use the Montka surprisingly much, considering how little people seem to think of it. I don't play it's, Xenos. What's the difference between them uh, again? Kaoyun is the... Uh, they're both a six-inch aura once per game. Mm -hmm. uh, and Kaoyun is reroll all misses, but you cannot oh. move at all. Okay. Montka is the advance and fire as though you didn't... With no penalties at all. Yeah, so uh, that... Okay. Yeah. So that it's like advance and fire as if you hadn't moved. So... Yep. When you've got, uh, in my list, I also had uh, three hammerheads with, with the Seekers plus Longstrike, of course. 
mm-hmm. I had one Riptide, which is really what the buff Mander was there for, um, was was because there's a lot of battle suit uh, buffing stratagems that the commander can do. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, and uh, that little con- that 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 little twosome, uh, as I f- as I figured it out, because this was really my first action with Codex Tau in earnest. I maybe had two or three warm up games and with totally different lists. Um, and instead of the Cold Star, I ran a Yavara basically. So instead of a you know two Cold Star commanders, I went with the Yavara. I was a um, little bit curious about that. Looking at your list, what did you think of just having one Yavara? Because I've never been really impressed by it when it's alone. So the thing is, is I. I Again, so full disclosure here, uh, listeners, I went two and three. Uh, I don't think it was because I brought a Yavara, though. Um, I found the sort of the threat that you pre- that, that my list particularly presented was, I guess, a little tricky to figure out what you wanted to kill. And most people were going for long strike. Um, mm. So okay. so they, you know, I was usually losing a hammerhead or long strike, you know, in the first turn. Um Whereas the Yavaro would be sort of free to move up, kind of like what you'd do with a Cold Star. The difference is, is I could um, feel somewhat confident that he might survive to the next turn, especially if I could get other stuff up in their face because I had the other Riptide, the Fire Warriors would be advancing. Um, so there was there was a lot of, I don't know, there was some good shiftiness I felt with the Yavaro. It's a big investment in yeah, points. Right. It's over 400 points. So yeah, it's, it's clearly not expensive. an, it's not analogous to two Cold Stars. It's like two and a half Cold Stars. Um, it's almost three. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it—I uh, don't know. It does it does a lot of lot of work with its auto hit, um, you know, flamer. It was Borkan as well. Yeah, of course, um, that's of the course. only kind there is. Uh, and also, uh, if you can get the if you can get a sort of plus one to hit with its um, with its shooty gun, the ballistic skill based gun, that thing's pretty mm-hmm. devastating too. The flat three is huge. So I don't know. I found it to be a really good tool. Yeah. So he was he was getting downfield and mixing it up where and the rest of my army was basically holding down my deployment zone. So I I was hoping he would be a more survivable and more deadly version of the Cold Star. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's think, interesting. Uh, I forgot what tournament it was, but I think we saw a triple Evara list do really perform really well. I want to say like three months ago, um, which obviously I don't know about really well. Stuff. They have uh, you, top. You, you, we've like, seen a fair number ten. of them making like top eights of yeah. like. You know, one, two, three Yavaras, but they haven't made a huge splash yet. It's right. kind of more one of those like boogeyman units. Yeah, uh-huh. there's right. a there's a double Yavara at, at certainly present at Beef and Wing, and I'm unfortunately I didn't do my mm. research to see where he wound up. Um, but uh, yeah, like there was there were a couple different Talus uh, out there representing. One thing I would definitely say is that the just humble Riptide. Is uh, yeah. especially when he's buffed up, <laughs> is awesome. I ran him okay. with, uh, I ran him with the velocity tracker and target lock, so I didn't use uh, ATS on him. Uh, go ahead. I, I was just, I've, I've seen a number of people run some common, you know, basically your three choices are like advanced targeting, target lock, and velocity tracker. Uh, with you know, target lock being pretty common and the other two kind of switching in and out. Yeah. I've never really been happy not having advanced targeting and target lock on them. Like, I've tried them without, but it's never, like, I want to move every turn and the extra point of AP is so big. So for me, um, the the way I eventually sort of came to the conclusion is just, you know, you always want more dice higher up in the funnel, right? So sure. uh, if, if you're... 
if you have the opportunity to hit on threes without any other external buffs, hit on threes without any external buffs is kind of just where I got because hmm. that's going to force a save, whereas ATS only comes into play once you're actually rolling for saves. And if I'm hitting on fours or fives, um, that doesn't really matter, that minus one. So did that was my find, thinking there. Did you find you were shooting at fly targets often enough for that to be really consistent? Yes. Um, huh. all, okay. Like, I mean, whether it was Demon Prince's, uh, my final game against Custodes, just I did something oh, atrocious yeah. with them. Ravagers. Uh, um, you oh, know, yeah. I, I didn't actually, <laughs> I because I kind of bit it really fast, uh, I didn't really have the opportunity to take it out against, um, take him for a whirl against Dark Eldar. But that was a big, big contributing factor to it as well, is like, you're already sure. spotting the minus one to hit. So that kind of counteracts against a Venom or, or a Flyer, um, that, that minus yeah. one. My, my experience has been the Velocity Tracker really paves off in the various Eldari matchups. Uh, that other ones, it may be a little bit more limited, but like you really need it against Craftworld, Yanari, and Dark Eldar. And, you know, I mean, because in, in other matchups, you know, I have other ways, whether it's just dumping a lot of shots from Fire Warriors or... Um, you know, even just finding ways to buff the the uh, the AP on them, you know, with uh, three unity devastation, which is the warlord trait mm-hmm. that gives you a negative one, basically like a rend on a on a six to wound. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I felt like there were other ways to sort of juice his his damage, and that uh, just if I had the chance to hit on threes, then that was going to be the better choice. And I felt I felt very strongly about it. Actually, I feel very yeah. strongly about it. I'm gonna um, have to try it out some more. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, there's going to be matches, matchups where it just doesn't come into play for sure. But I think a lot of the sort of the big big meta matchups right now, you know, specifically like you said, talking about Eldari, it's going to factor in yeah. huge and also take out some of those alpha units. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, like, I guess I'll, I'll I'll get to my last game, which was uh, you know it was a bottom of turn one. Essentially, we we shook hands on it and went for beers. Uh, but he had custodies. Um, I did seize, but I don't know if it really made a, that much of a difference at the end of the day, um, just the way it was shaping up. But uh, basically, my Yavara and half my arm and the hammerheads took out one unit of custodies. So that's a lot of shooting. So I wasn't rolling particularly hot, um, and that was so that brought uh, you know five bikers down to one. And then on the other side of the field, I was super frustrated, and uh, I shot all my Fire Warriors into another unit of five uh, Custodes, and I had them on a full Marker Light stack, so I'm rerolling ones, and I'm plus one to hit. It took me four or five units of Fire Warriors to get one wound through, and then, I, and then I spent three CP, obviously, to get plus one to wound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I opened up with my Riptide, which was hitting now on twos, rerolling ones, so I had a full, stat, full slate of wounds. Mm-hmm. And then he was uh, wounding the bikes on threes, re-rolling wounds. So I basically wounded him, you know, how many shots did I take? 18, 18 times. Yeah. Uh, and he failed enough that I wiped the unit in one volley with the Riptide. Oof. Yeah, Jeez. that'll do it. Tau, Tau, in my experience, are pretty brutal against custodies. They just have so many guns and so much Overwatch. And that's the thing. Yeah. And that's what we're lo- looking at. Basically, in the next... Uh, you know, in the next turn, we're looking at like I I had managed to I Montcod. So to oh, explain yeah. how that's good is essentially I also had Ethereal, uh, one Ethereal on the list. So I actually uh, use Reroll Advance to move all my Fire Warriors up. Um, so they all my Fire Warriors essentially move between eleven and and twelve inches. Like I was fives and sixes. It was super hot with the the advance rolls, and I also was able to readjust where my hammerheads were. So I just had this like really tight 
Castle midfield with a Yavara basically six inches from every unit, uh, mm-hmm. a Riptide six inches from every unit. Um, you know, if he tried to charge me from any direction, he was going to eat it. He didn't really have a lot of options, so that's why yeah. we kind of kind of GG charge you. He'll just lose. Nice. And he was going to lose just standing there anyway. So that's that's sort of exactly. a, a highlight matchup for me. Um, just to really quickly, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Finish up your thought. No, my thought was just like kind of quickly go over like, uh, you know, as I said, I was super rusty. And I mean, we've talked about it in the show in the past. It's kind of an issue I have is like that first matchup for me. If I run into a competent, cool opponent instead of, you know, maybe someone who's just there for a good time, I, I, I'm really cold and I make terrible choices in my first game. I don't know. It's like. It's like, and it's always the first, like, I I just make such tremendous mistakes in my first turn that it's just an unwinnable thing. And it's embarrassing to say, but what I did was I was playing against uh, Thousand Sons and, um, and he was running, uh, actually it was a a really awesome list. It was a guy named uh, Jim Vessel. Um, He's a transplant from Western Canada, moved out to Toronto for, for work. And he brought his 40K, uh, beautiful 40K army. He won Best Painted. Uh, so he's not only bringing the heat, but he it looked good too. Um, and he was running, uh, you know, some Alpha Legion cultists. He had a couple demon princes. He had this random unit of of berserkers and a rhino. He had this conversion beamer dreadnought that just that stood kitty corner yeah. across the Hellforge table. Contemptor. Oh man, it was actually it brought the ruckus, man. And he was saying that it was actually a pretty big star for him all day because people didn't know what to make of it and just thought it was some tool shed dreadnought but if he's if if he's at the far end of his range he's wrecking your life yeah it's the contemptor's gun as the the sea beam cannon the old conversion beamer uh is a real interesting gun these days because it it starts with a pretty mediocre profile but gets stronger the further away you get so at like 48 inches plus it's like strength 10 3d3 damage or something stupid like that it's basically uh, killing anything it hits yeah. You know, and the other important thing is if it kills a model, that model explodes for another 2d6 strength 6 hits um, for anything else in the unit. So it's not only strong against like big heavy targets like vehicles, but it's also clearing out like, you know, five to seven guys from a squad of dudes Yeah. Uh, with each shot. So, you know, that thing is potentially killing like 14 guardsmen in one go, which... That's not small potatoes. And it, no. and it is one of those things where if you let him place it sort of, uh, so even in, you know, hammer and anvils where you're, you're on the longboard edge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like if you let him place it in the far opposite corner and it just gets to stand there with impunity shooting at its most optimal range, he's going to wreck you. But if you yeah. know what the conversion beamer does and you take him a little bit seriously, you can counter it fairly easily, but it's just, if you don't know what it is and you're just like, yeah, it's a dreadnought standing in a field, who gives a shit? Uh, right. He will he will hurt you, which he did. Uh, he did mean things to me. Um, so essentially, in this game, at, at some point, I was thinking with Tau, like you know, hammerheads can't Overwatch, famously, um, <laughs> so or they can't greater good, I should say. Um, yes. And I was thinking that you know, against a, a horde close combat army, um, you know, it would be actually a good thing to move the hammerheads in front of fire warriors and things because they can take the charge and it'd be good. So in that scenario, I don't think that's a bad play, screening with the tanks rather than with the infantry. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm I'm in a sweaty panic because it's the first game of the tournament. This is just like I did it at the LVO. And somehow remembering this idea, which would have been good in another situation, certainly not this one when I'm facing a shit ton of mortal wounds, 
uh, you know, no. <laughs> pink horrors dropping in from Deep Strike and turn two, all this other stuff. Um, I, for some reason, moved my hammerheads in front of my fire warriors, and mm, they basically all died immediately, which would have been very easy to figure out if you were a rational human being. <laughs> so I'm pretty handicapped from the beginning. I made a game of it. I essentially, you know, played it all the way to the end and forced him to essentially table me. He was chasing my riptide, tap, tap dancing down the backboard edge until, I don't know, turn four, maybe. Um, but, uh, yeah, and Pink Horrors coming in from Deep Strike um, managed to kill a, a Yavara on full wounds in one volley of shooting, which was amazing. That will happen. I, that could happen. I failed 18 two-up saves. Yeah. On Still on something happened. like on something like fifty four or fifty five shots. By the way, everybody, I was using the assault dice app, so definitely wasn't hacked. I'll tell you that much. You, you know, Val, <laughs> it's actually funny because Frankie lost a game at the Gentleman's GC, and he rolled thirteen ones in a row with the assault Oof. dice app. Um, and, and it's just funny that that maybe that happened to you too. No, it couldn't have happened because they it was this weekend, and and the maybe maybe someone hacked your dice app and his dice app. Maybe maybe someone's after us. I mean, I think that's certainly if I certainly if Frankie was on my list of people to screw with, Uncle Heffelfinger is going to be right behind it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's number you know, one and number two. Right ba- there, we're, right? I'm basically synonymous, you know, the two <laughs> names. Uh, but anyway, so it was just a comedy of errors uh, at my expense. Yeah. Um, well, but it was it was all good because I I did you know I got to play that guy uh, actually went on. I think he didn't lose until his fourth game so he, uh, he actually had a good game he, he took ninth place in the tournament overall which like losing to that guy is not like shameful all things considered and, and that's the thing like i i always feel bad like when i'm like oh i fucked everything up you know giving no credit to the opponent like that's bullshit like even if i had played it right this guy knew his army very well it had mm-hmm. it was a very toolsy list so like you looked at it and immediately thought oh this is a cute list you know because he's not bringing just like pure optimize everything but he was bringing units that could do a lot of cool stuff and uh so i really liked the look and and the feel of the way he played it he was also very um I don't know. He was Robinsonian, I would say, in his in oh, his uh, okay. in, in his demeanor. Like even once the game was well in hand, uh, he was not laughing at my jokes. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. I did get a rise out of him. I think the next day, once he was he was feeling pretty good about how he did. So, but he yeah. had his game face on, and my face melted. So there you go. Yeah, that, um, that's. It's always it's always a balance when you're talking about your games, right? Because because you always want to give your opponent some credit, but if it was a like a winnable game or a winnable matchup where you felt like if you had just played better, you would have won. I um, wish I hadn't you know? done what I did because I'd love to know what would have happened. You know, exactly. like I, I, I really mm-hmm. really would have like I don't know that I win that matchup regardless because he had a lot of negative one to hit. Uh, he had a lot of stuff like he had a, like two or three demon princes if I recall that were coming up at me. Um, yeah, and that. he had st- and he had a good beta strike too coming in with the with with the horrors. So it would have been a real cagey game if I were to make a game of it. So who knows how it could have gone? Um, second game, I played a guy named Dan, uh, who was the kind of guy I would have loved to have seen in the first round. Um, <laughs> and so we were able to relax and we had a really nice game. He was playing uh, sort of he was actually playing a list that you know. Yeah, wasn't he had plague marines in it? I guess would be the one knock against it. But other than that, it was a pretty good death guard list. I thought, you know, plague burst crawlers and drones, and sort of lined them up, ran them at me, and I killed them, and that was that. And it was it was fun. We shook hands, had a great time. He uh, he wound up with the the wooden spoon, so uh, he, he got his his prize at the end of the day for his troubles. <laughs> 
Um, third game, I played a very similar, slightly more optimized list with a more optimized opponent. This guy had uh, more of a more of a game face on, and we played um, a game I thought that I was going to like win handily. <clears throat> and so I'm winning. I'm learning all these because I'm out of practice. I'm also learning some hard lessons that I, I should already know. So I kind of um, in my first turn of shooting, sort of I, I he he was playing with uh, a lot of. Um, uh, the zombies, what are they called? Help me. Plague uh, walkers? Plague, no. Yes. Pox walkers. No. Pox walkers, thank you. He's playing with a bunch of pox walkers, a bunch of cultists, and um, uh, he had uh, three plague burst crawlers. He had a couple drones. Um, I believe he had typhus back there uh, buffing the pox walkers. And I just was able to annihilate a couple, maybe a drone and just a whole lot of the cultists right off the bat in turn one. And I just felt like. I got this guy. Like, I've sort of taken the. I kind of. I felt like I kind of gutted his army, and the damage output that he could give back wasn't going to be able to hurt me. Which actually, that's not far from the truth. Um, but what I wasn't able to do for the remainder of the game was really put him out. You know, um, and I was also um, not um, focused enough on maximizing my points. So he no. was able. You know, yeah. just like the New England Patriots, he hung in there. He hung in there. He hung in there. And, you know, at the end, I took a 24-19 loss. You know, there were a couple turns where, you know, his, my dice went a bit cold, not even like ice cold, just a bit cold. One of his characters would live or like one model would live in a unit. And because I wasn't careful enough to move as many units as I could close to the objective, you know, he would score the objective. Um, you know, just little yeah. swings like that. There was just sloppy play on my part. Um, and he was razor focused because he was playing from behind and he just... Just outgutted it on me, and it was a great game. Uh, but I didn't wind up being able to pull that one out. Um, so again, go ahead. Oh, who went first? Second. I who believe went? in that one. I did go first yeah. because I, I kind of got up and just was able to nuke his stuff. Again, doing the Montcom move again with the Fire Wars, I was able to get him in double tap range, and they were able to really put a big hurt on a screen of of the uh, of the cultists up front. Because um, getting rid of the yeah. cultists, I thought, was a really important thing. And also hurting the drones, because the drones coming up could put a lot of wounds on my guys. Yeah, um, Tao don't like those drones. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, nothing that's T3 with 4-up uh, armor save likes those drones very much. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And then fourth round, I got to play a guy, another uh, Canadian hero, uh, uh, Jamie Williams. Uh, he was playing um, a NIDS list that was... Uh, it was a very shooty NIDS list, essentially, is, is what it was. Um, you know, he had an X screen in it. He had a, you know, sort of crowded um, around a Malanthrope. Um, there was, uh, I think, three units of three um, Spore Mine dudes. And it was, again, a really wonderful, awesome, tight game um, that uh, we, uh, I wound up losing by one point. Um, and uh, I don't know. It was, it was a good game. I don't, that one I felt like could have gone either way. I'd, I have absolutely no gripes. I think uh, I was playing pretty tight. Uh, just uh, let it, didn't, didn't seal the deal in the end. And then um, I, I feel badly that, uh, you know, I had to do what I did to, to Jeff in the final round. But uh, I needed that, Jeff. I needed that so badly. I needed to just dummy someone. Um, and I hope you still come back to tournaments because playing that game means that I will. So my final round, I whipped the custodies. And overall, I got to say, I, I, you've been seeing Tao um, sort of hanging around, I think, some of, the, some of the higher finishes. But 
doesn't seem like they've really broken through yet. I think they can. I think they can. It's um, interesting. I've seen a decent number of Tau Top 8s recently. And actually, if we want to talk about the, the Top 8 on this one, it was uh, it's kind of an interesting field. Uh, we have, of the Top 8 lists, five of them are some variety of Eldar. Yes. For, for the Beef and Wing? Yeah. Yeah, Beef and uh, Wing. We have, uh, yeah, yeah. what, three Dark Eldar, two Yanari? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, two Yanari, and then that's that's pretty much it, which which is already half of the top ten. Um, yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about the. I want to talk about T.J. Lanigan and Lewis's the who the, the two people who went mm. undefeated uh, yes. with Lewis Stolberg ultimately winning the title of the best general. Congratulations, mm-hmm. Lewis. Um. So so Lewis's Dark Eldar list is kind of the Dark Eldar list that that the Dark Eldar recipe that you, you guys will see a lot of. Um, yeah. And because every Dark Eldar list I've seen that's been por- doing really well, they all have this similar recipe, but they're all different in how they execute it. Uh, for example, Skari, when, when you guys hear that, um, he had uh, a Tantalus in three Ravagers, um, but he also had the Talos units, and then he had Witches and a character. Um, and so the f- recipe is this. It's you get your three Ravagers with your shooting. Cabal um, you get Black some Heart, Cabal the Black Heart, uh, Cabal the Black Heart, Ravager specifically, you're correct. Uh, yeah. You get your your hammer melee unit, whatever it is. Uh, in this case, Lewis's unit is racks and grotesques um, built yeah, around. Yeah, a full size unit of grotesques. It looks like. Yeah, uh, built around venoms and and kind of like board position with some raiders. Uh, and then you you get your triple ravagers, your Cabal the Black Heart, your melee unit, and then you get your cool characters, um, and then some basic troop choices that always seem to overperform. And don't forget about the undersung, uh, unsung Razorwing Jet Fighters, by the way, which yeah, I see, kind of I've, I've seen. It's a kind of strange one. Well. Well, not at all. Not at all. They are they are not a strange one. They are um, assassins. Uh, they're super mobile oh. and handy. They go deep mm-hmm. on the board. They can go kill characters. Um, they a, pump out a lot of shots. They also usually have dark. Does he have dark lances on them? He's running them with disintegrators, I believe. Oh, okay. That's so actually what I that. see the most often as well. Yeah, the typically what I see with the Razor Wing is it's basically a slightly different Ravager. Costs a few more points, is a lot faster, not holding onto objectives or anything, obviously, but has a little bit better anti-infantry firepower and a little bit better yeah. mobility. But yeah. in the in the ITC, it's not just about objectives. They can be on the back table, back table edge, getting line breaker. They've been getting yep. recon points for you. Uh, yeah. And they're a pain in the ass, and they put out a lot of hurt. I think the the sort of prototypical uh, Dark Eldar list you're going to see is you're going to see a Cabal of the Dark Black Heart detachment, either a battalion or a spearhead, depending on how many points they're sinking into it. Um, it's going to have an Archon for rerolling ones to hit. He's probably going to be carrying Rid of the Living Muse for reroll ones to wound. You're going to see three Ravagers with Disintegrator Cannons for taking out infantry. You're going to see a, a Prophets of Flesh detachment with a bunch of racks and maybe some Grotesques or Talos for holding on to board position and giving melee threat. And then you're going to see a third detachment of either other Eldar or some Witches. Um, yeah. Because that's kind of, that's the game they play. And probably as part of all that, like... Uh, Val was saying, you know, you're going to see a whole bunch of troop models that are doing way more work than you expect for the, like, 40 points that they cost. And they're probably sitting inside Venoms, which are way harder to kill than their 55 or 65 point cost would indicate. 
Yeah. And another thing Dark Eldar, I'm starting to realize, that are really good at is this killing characters. Just mm-hmm. across the board, um, Eldar are already pretty good at it, but Dark Eldar take it to a whole nother level. Um, when you mentioned the Razorwing fighters sniping characters, uh, they have yeah. their own characters. Uh, Scar, example, used Lilith, and Lilith would just ping-pong through characters, just jump, squeeze through a, a line somewhere, two-inch gap, and then just start ping-ponging off characters and killing them all, doing what Lilith does. Uh, and you can do that with the Razoring Fighters, you can do that with Talos, you can do that with Witches, uh, you can do that by p- just peeling away layers of bubble wrap with all the shots Dark Eldar get. Uh, they're really good at killing characters, So uh, yeah. and they're mobile enough to make Recon a, a must-take every game. Um, so just just keep that in mind when you're building your list. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make characters that are really hard to kill. Uh, or, know, or just or, being or aware of it. Being aware of it on the tabletop is essential, like not to derail off the Dark Eldar, but one thing I really wanted to call out as a lesson learned in the first game against um, uh, Jim was that the th- like there were a ton of thousand, thousand Sun Psychic powers that could target my characters and just yeah. melt their brains. And so I just had a bunch of guys standing out what I thought well protected behind my screen. Uh, and you know he was able to punk dudes without any issue, and that was just a thing that I didn't know that, that he could do, right? Chaos, yeah. especially, and Eldar to a lesser degree are very good at just sort of like pointing the character and making it dead. Uh, and that's something, you, like you say, you have to be aware of. There's not a lot of defenses against it in some cases, but you just line, you line of sight. To... Line of sight in a lot of cases will, will yes. is a good defense. Bodies. Uh, I mean, bodies don't, don't help. Yeah, they don't care. They just target characters. It's not hit the nearest model in most cases. Yeah, it's just oh, target, oh, you're target model. Oh, you powers. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. Uh, well, if we're we're talking about chaos and some of their uh, psychic shenanigans, do we want to hit T.J. Lanigan's list? Of course, T.J. Lanigan, Mister Mister Nurgle himself. Oh, he's got three demon princes as he Yeah, he's but... technically not a, a Nurgle <laughs> list, but uh, nine like seventy percent. It's basically a Nurgle list. Yeah. Uh, so TJ had uh, three demon princes of Zinch and uh, Supreme Command Detachment, Mr. Yes. Epidemius, Sloppity Bile Piper, Spoilpox Scrivener. I'm never going to get tired of saying those names. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Nurgle Detachment with a whole bunch of Plague Bearers, three Plague Bear Scrawlers, and the Feculent Naromaw. That's his yeah. list. Uh, pretty much par for the course, honestly, for for that style of list. It's, it's pretty on par with what you see out of a lot of the Nurgle Heavy Chaos list. Just a lot of bodies to absorb the big hits and to hold on to objectives, and then a handful of units doing work, basically the three Plague Burst Crawlers and the three Demon Princes, that are kind of like doing all his actual killing. Uh, because, like, those guys will, you know, Z- Demon Princes and Thousand Sons are uh, putting out three strong smites every turn, plus three more powers of your choice, and the Plague Burst Crawlers are just as good as they've ever been. Yeah. Uh, and I want to give a shout-out to Mr. George Katis from New York yeah. uh, with his Astro Militarum list. When I first saw Astro Militarum in the top five, I was like, uh, you've got Guard, Dark Eldar, Eldar, boring, boring, boring. <laughs> And a chaos list, but I looked at the guard list. It's not not at all. So Mr. George brought a guard tank or guard vehicle spam list, essentially pure tank list. He does not have a single infantry model in the army, which I find amazing. Yeah. So he has uh, six basilisks, six wyverns, uh, and one, two, three, four, 
three, four. Uh, I always have trouble reading these. It, it's like uh, eight. No, four, four, four Lehman Russes. Four Lehman Russes. Uh, two of four them Lehman Russes with Knight Commander Pass. Regular style. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's it. That's that's it. Simple. I just want to shout out George. George and his crew actually came from New York City specifically, and I'm if oh. I get the bur- if I get the borough wrong, I, I, these guys are gonna find me. But I'm pretty sure it was the Bronx. These guys uh, had recently gotten into 40k, had been playing with each other a ton. He won. George won best Imperial uh, on the day. He was so thrilled, and uh, I don't know. It was an awesome moment. I think so. Yes. I, unconventional list and some unconventional 40k players man it was cool all right props to him he obviously played games well all right so let's move on let's move on to a smaller gt with uh some similar names at the top uh top 10 let's talk about the triumph gt um so this is one by mr todd silber who is actually a Tau list. I'm going to pull up his Tau list right now. Uh, but the reason why I bring up the Triumph GT is because it happened in the last two weeks and Mr. Nick Nanavati lost his very first game and didn't win yeah. with a Lytok. Uh, yeah, I, I actually don't have Todd's list available. It's not on BCP, oddly. Oh, no. Uh, which is kind of unfortunate. It looks like most of the players did not fill their lists in. Shame on them. Shame. Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Even Come on. even that's the on the T. Nick did not. Well, it's sort of. It's on the players too. Uh, yeah, it's you can, true. Y- you can you can put your list into BCP as long as you're in the app, and you know, guys, do it. Like, you want to see what other people's lists are. People want to see what your super cool list is. Put your list in. It takes like thirty seconds. Yeah, but let's talk about the variety here. Uh, so your your top five. Um, these are all these are all people who went four and one or better. Actually, top so we'll we'll include Nick because because uh, it's always nice to give some orc players some love. Um, but oh no, I'm sorry, not Nick. I went to the wrong tab. Top five: mm-hmm. Bradley Nichols, Thousand Sons, Ed mm-hmm. Miller, Cadians, Patrick McKinney, Ultramarines, Nick Navadi, Eldar, Alitok, and Todd Silver with Tau. So you're actually every player who went four and one or better had a different faction. There yeah. was uh, that, that was also one hell of a field too. There's a lot of the uh, the USETC team was was there practicing oh, some of their Nick lists. Nick Rose, Alex Fennell was there. Uh, mm-hmm. William Bryce, who who I lost to at Nova, he was really good. Jared Friedman went three and zero day one and dropped. Uh, Jared Stephen, Friedman. Stephen treat him mean, keep him keen. Stephen Pamperine, <laughs> Mr. Canada himself. Actually, no, that's not. Actually, you know what? He's I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna. Oh, I thought you know no, I've seen him in a few no. Canadian tournaments. He cavorts so with Canadians, but he's he's not he he's not a he's not a Canadian. He's he's a he's a Yankee through and through. He's 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 way too nice to be American, Steve. You're right. He's a Yankee. He's he's a he's a north he's a northeast elitist. He lives in an ivory tower, um, <laughs> and uh, you know he believes in uh, nationalized health care. It's it's I'm putting words in his mouth now. I don't know any oh, of these things about him. He's a communist. That's right. I believe that's what you call them. Yes. 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 <laughs> Uh, any anyone to the right of Ronald Reagan is officially a communist, or to the left of Ronald Reagan, I should say. Well, he did defeat the Soviet Union. Yeah, with his By bare himself. hands. Uh, yeah, it's. I think we have an interesting field. the The top eight players are all different factions, not a single duplicate. You don't see the second one till you get to number nine, uh, and even that is Necrons, which is not like what people are expecting to be tearing up the top tables. So, uh, I think. 
I think this is kind of more indicative of the sort of tournaments we're seeing in 8th edition. A lot of variety at the top tables in most cases. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so let's talk about the Dallas Open. That's, yeah. I, yeah. I think the largest tournament here that we're going to talk about. Um, sorry, sure Beef is, and yeah. Wing. Beef and Wing came close. Oh, so close with four players short of the Dallas Open. Um, so, uh, Mr. Congratulations first to John Lennon and Nick Gower. John, I love your music. Uh, <laughs> you, you and Paul, you guys do some great stuff. I'm really, real, real big fan. Um, mm-hmm. So, so John Lennon won with a uh, Gene Steeler Colt list. Now, the Gene Steeler Colt lists, um, they've been going through kind of a metamorphosis in in Eighth Edition, right? So, so uh, originally a Gene Steeler Colt list was like, hey, I brought Gene Steeler Colt so I could bring Guard and Tyranids, um, and then the the Guard kind of got nerfed a little bit so it made and the, also the gene Sitter cult bringing guard got nerfed as well uh so gene Sitter cult stopped bringing the guard list and then all the gene Sitter cult players kind of like scattered and disappeared for the lvo time around that time uh and then they're all kind of slowly emerging back from their holes and doing really well again uh i think i think it's big mostly big. yeah sorry i don't mean to cut you out. i think it's mostly related to finding ways to bring gene stealers that can appear yes uh, yeah, very it's, quickly. The the FAQ certainly has been a big impact here because you're seeing so many people shifting towards more gunline centric or assault centric armies, and uh, Gene Steeler Colt being able to kind of just drop their guys in wherever the hell they want, regardless of the FAQ changes, uh, it puts them a leg up. It's I'm still a little surprised that he went five and zero with it. It's not a bad list, but it's certainly not the list I would expect to see at the top tables. Um, but certainly props to him for for doing it and we have to recognize that like it's not just the lists you expect that are going to be winning there are a lot of lists that can that can make it at 4-0 5-0 at the top tables yeah and and so so his list it's kind of got the recipes that you you see uh with similar top performing 8th edition lists you have your your giant 18 two 18 man uh, 18 Xenos gene stealer units, uh, one gene, mm-hmm. one gene stealer cult, one tyranids, and then you've got three devourer carnifexes, and then two devourer, double devourer heavy venom cannon carnifexes. So a lot of shooting, and then he's got that big unit of hive guard, six hive guard, uh, for yeah. even more kind of like hammer sh- finishing off shooting. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of what you see. It's it's a very shooty uh, list with with some good counter punch, good assault elements. Um, which is kind of kind of what you see now. I, I I would say it's it's actually kind of similar to how chaos lists run, except without the smiting. Yeah, it's well, and it's got a decent amount of the smiting because it's bringing all the gene stealer oh, the primus and, to the game. That's true. Um, the neurothrope. Yeah, you're right. It's if you're talking about you know a gene stealer cult list, a lot of people are going to say, well, that's not really a gene stealer cult list, and they're kind of right. Like it mm-hmm. barely ekes out the GSC faction there, um, but it is a gene stealer cult list. It's running a, a decent number of their guys, so you know it's the sort of thing you've got to be aware of. It has a lot of tricks that a tyranid list that is pure tyranids is not going to be able to pull. Yeah. And I mean, let's be serious, guys. Gene Steeler Cult essentially didn't exist for a good stretch in 8th edition, so it's just mm-hmm. awesome to see someone even playing them on the table. Yeah, that's um, true. Did, uh, did, we, did, did either of you have the courage to look at Nick Gower's I'm looking Drukari at it list? right now. It goodness, is not, goodness gracious. Not There's, easy to read. <laughs> there are uh, 12 Venom. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, I, I'm nine. referring, uh, yes, the, the formatting is brutal. 
But yeah. what you find out when you get past that is just mm-hmm. far more disheartening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, so it, it's a it's a it's scary. It's a hodgepodge of um, a lot of good stuff. He's got a black guard detachment uh, with two Lamians, um, who I yeah. I don't know anything about Lamians. Um, they are not characters. They are signal model units who have two up poison that does mortal wounds on fours. Mm. Um, they they exist. I've That's seen them. All you can say about points. them. Yeah, and they they sort of hide in a ruin and comp an objective a lot of the time is kind of how I've seen them use, and they are very very cheap HQ selections. They're actually elites, not they're elites. Oh, yeah. my bad, my yeah. bad. I don't not even. I don't fully understand what they're doing in the list, but obviously there is a reason they're in the list. I guess to score things. Was yeah. Alamian always an elite choice? Uh, no, it was last edition. It was part of the the court of the Archon, where it was an HQ that didn't take up a slot and okay. came as a unit. Weird. And I don't know. There's there's a lot of units that got shifted from HQ to elites this edition, and it's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, so he's got his nine Venoms in that unit as well, and his three Ravagers, which is par mm-hmm. for the course for Dark Eldar. Uh, yep. Then he also has a Cult of the Red Grief uh, detachment with the Succubus, the boat two really good the the really good Succubus build. You see everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, three units of Witchers with shard nets, and then a Shadow Seer, and a bunch of Skyweavers in a Harlequin's yeah. attachment. Um, I think the Lamian might just be the cheapest unit he could buy to max out more dedicated transports. Yes, it could be. Yeah, he does have nine Venoms, and uh, you know, can Lamians ride in a Venom? Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you don't have to ride in the Venom. You just you need it. You need to buy a unit to unlock another. Um, Another yeah. Venom. That might be what he was doing with those. One day he would transport you could, the other unit. Could, okay. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's a really it's a really fast, hard-hitting list. Crazy um, MSU. That looks like, yeah, yeah, it looks like it's really hard to, to wipe off the board at all. Um, yes. Unless you can I, kill Venoms efficiently. I imagine it is basically banking on... Uh, for most of the game, kind of controlling the midfield and just holding lots of objectives uh, and scoring lots of secondaries, and it's n- like no army in the game can realistically table that. That's um, yeah. just that's not going to ever happen. So you're you're it's looking to win on points, but it has enough offense that it is not just sort of like folding over and dying. It's still killing a lot of stuff. How I just want to call it. How cool is it that? You know, we've talked now two GTs, one by, uh, sorry, two majors, one by Drakari, and two lists that could not be more different from one another. That's great. Different. That's they're wildly different. Well, th- they are, but you're seeing some of the same elements. You know, troops in the Venoms, the Disintegrator Cannon Ravagers, the same sort of basic HQs and stuff. They're, they certainly play very differently, but they include a lot of the same units. What's going to kill a bunch of racks and, and grotesques is, is not the same tools you need to wipe off this many things with negative one to hit. And anyway, mm. I don't know. I just... I yeah, just... It's... Feel like these things would match up very differently. Oh, for uh, sure. I'm not saying they're the same list. I'm just saying they they use many of the same building blocks. It's kind of like sure. they're basically you know you have the same Legos you're using to build two different machines. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The honestly, the thing I find most interesting about Nick's list is the inclusion of the Harlequin detachment. 
Um, that's not something you see terribly often, but I think with the release of the Harlequin Codex, you're, it's going to happen a little bit more, uh, and I think it really pushes the uh, the aggressive nature of his list, because he doesn't actually have a lot of hard-hitting melee units other than the Harlequins. Like, the Witches are really just there to delay things, uh, but the Harlequins kind of bring in a very fast-moving hammer that he can use against a lot of targets. Yeah. So so let's. Ta- I, I want to talk about the guy Nick... Law or Nick beat to win the whole event. And it's Nick Sutherland in the Battle of the Nicks. Um, I want to give Nick Sutherland oh, yeah. a shout out because he brought orcs and he brought mm-hmm. the simplest orc list you can imagine. It's just a uh, hundred and eighty <laughs> boys. Couldn't yep. imagine a worse matchup. Well, <laughs> for the, maybe there for are the orc some, player <laughs> for the orc player. Like he's just yeah. rolling up. He's like, son of a bitch. Are you serious? Oh he's, man. He's, he has to pull out his his toes and his feet to count the number of shots getting thrown at him oh uh, boy and yeah. it's I, I think that's actually a very interesting matchup because both those armies want to play the same kind of game they are both moving into midfield and just soaking casualties as they try and control the center of the field so i think that's actually less good for the dark eldar than you might assume at first glance because they can't afford to get charged by that many orcs. I'd, I yeah. would say, though, that it's much easier for the Dark Eldar player to kite the hell out of all the orcs in their very speedy, very fast-moving things. Now, the thing is, the orcs don't really care about being kited. They just, like I say, they move into the midfield and they take the, the, uh, the center and they kill a couple units each turn to earn those points. They hold more objectives and they win on points is, I think, their game plan. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, so his, it did not work in the, out in this case, but right. I think that is a tough fight for the Dark Eldar list. I don't think that's a rollover matchup. Yeah, right. and it, it wasn't. It was a twenty-eight to eighteen victory, which which shows that that Nick w- was dominant and maybe one or two turns, but mm-hmm. overall it was probably really close at one point. Um, the thing is, is and I I kind of agree with Val here. I just the Dark Eldar have a surprising amount of chaff and ability to block out things like da jump um, which obviously nick nick would have been looking to do um with the three weird boys he had in his 180 boys um th- you know you could use like the lamians to hide in buildings and kind of kind of block out most of it uh yeah. venoms are really fast you can sacrifice a single venom kind of just move him out of the way and venoms also have long range shooting they have 36 inch range shooting um you can kind of hide behind your your skyweavers who i think can go in there and probably take a decent amount of orc boys if they charge first and you soften up the unit a little which can muck up skyweavers are i think five attacks a piece like they're only killing like two orcs per skyweaver well with with shooting too right so you that's only you you can't let the orcs charge you yeah, I, like I mean, I don't know. I, I, I would have liked to have seen this. Three orcs. Yeah, it's. I, I, I'm not saying that they don't have the tools. Obviously, they do. But I people overestimate how many orcs they're going to kill. Uh, you know, a venom that's at true. short range kills four orcs. And that's times how many venoms? <laughs> nine. Yeah, it's that's times orc, nine venoms. Turn. <laughs> so his whole his whole set of venoms is killing plus ravagers. Once. Can yeah, I finish like a, a sentence? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, his whole his whole set of venoms is killing one unit of orcs per turn. Okay, that means over the course of the game he doesn't even table him. So well, it's like I I pe- people are kind of like he just kills all the orcs. It's like no, he really doesn't. Not if they've got any protection at all. Yeah, the orc player also has mech guns. 
um, which which mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe I would imagine in this case, uh, and, and the Knicks can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I would assume that the Met Guns probably didn't pull their weight this game. No, uh, or this else is the game not their have... matchup at all. No, well the uh, Met Guns, they could Met Guns uh, are are often not about the damage output. They're more about the fact that you know it's one drop that gets you you know up to twelve units. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in a lot of cases, um, you know, the mech guns are there for holding out pieces of the back table, but sort of the, sort of holding your backfield. Um, yeah. those grots are impo- literally impossible to shoot cause they have to be the closest, uh, closest target. Um, yeah. and the guns themselves, you know, so I, I, usually the mech guns, it's not really about anything they do is a bonus. Really what they're there is to hold the table while the boys run forward. Yeah. All right. That's what so, I would assume so, as well. So, uh, now I want to talk about Anthony Bell, Bellum's list, uh, he mm-hmm. he's ran this list twice in a row, twice so far in the last few months, and he's he's top fived both times. Um, this is the Tau list with the stealth suits and the Tiger Shark fighter bombers. Um, yeah, Val, Sean, help me out. I don't. All right, I don't so get it. here's the thing about the Tiger Shark. It did a backflip while no one is looking. Uh, the the Tiger Shark fighter bomber. Um, the standard one, not the AX-10, is now the good one. Um, Mm. it's got two heavy burst cannons, 12 shots apiece, two damage per shot. Um, it's got two missile pods, which, you know, a little bit of extra firepower, two cyclic ion blasters, a bit more anti-tank, two Sky Spear missile racks, which are D6, strength 6, AP2, two damage shots each. And then it can load six Seeker missiles on top. And it is natively BS2 up, which is not something Tau get very often. Now They don't get time, it. Uh, <laughs> not very much, yeah. Um, you know, Commanders and Long Strike. Yeah. But um, basically, he has these two fairly hard to hurt. They've got a five up invuln, toughness eight, and I think like 16 wounds. Um, and, you know, flyers, so minus one to hit. Um, platforms that can kind of move around the table and put down a lot of firepower. Uh, I believe he is running them in this list as farsight enclaves. So if they're within six inches of you, they reroll ones to wound. Um, and it's not that hard to get them to ignore the movement penalty, either with marker lights or with Montka. We've talked mm-hmm. about Montka a lot this thing. It's pretty good. Um, so turn one, you're looking at uh, a pair of platforms that are moving in and probably hitting on twos, rerolling ones, wounding on twos, rerolling ones. And they're putting out like 50 shots apiece. It's pretty that, brutal. It's scary. Um, now, that is 800 points of his list, and one Captain Smashmaster can bring one of those things down in a single turn, but they are a pretty scary unit to have to face. And then behind that, he's got all the other usual Tau suspects. Just a whole bunch of Fire Warriors, a bunch of Kroot, a bunch of stealth suits for holding uh, onto objectives and whatnot. Um, Anthony has... It's not the list I would run, but I think it's a winning recipe here. Uh, the, the Tiger Shark is a big, scary thing that a lot of people are not really prepared to deal with. Yeah, I'd have to echo those sentiments. It's a gigantic, literally gigantic, too. I mean, just its footprint yeah. on the table is insane. Uh, gunboat. Um, I guess until you put it so explicitly, I don't think I realized just how 
devastatingly accurate and uh, and how likely it is to be really wounding you yeah. uh, efficiently. It's got so much strength, 6, 7, or 8 firepower, it's out of control. I've, I've actually been keeping my eye on uh, Anthony here for a little while. He is the t- top Tau player right now. Um, and he not only has a number of, like, top fives, he has several victories in various RTTs and GTs. Uh, actually, I don't think he has any victories in GTs, but lo- several RTTs, a number of GTs with high performances. He has no. been doing pretty solid, and kind of just looking over his list, uh, really kind of turned me on to the Tiger Shark, and how surprisingly cheap it is. I've got a, I got a question for you, Sean. Uh, I saw a little bit of scuttlebutt that was pretty much completely dismissed uh maybe without much argument which surprised Mm. me which is just the idea that you know the tiger sharks in in, um is a forge world index item uh and they were running these basically with the codex version of like the cyclic ion and i think even the burst cannon um so Uh, do you think that so this is actually something that has come up with Tau for a number of times. Um, GW in the designer commentary was very explicit that if there are multiple versions of a unit, um, you use the more recent version, and if there are multiple versions of profiles for a weapon, you always use the more recent profile. So the Tiger Shark gets a stealth boost from the Codex, even though it's not in the Codex, because the Heavy Burst Cannon got its profile upgraded significantly in the Codex. And the Cyclic Ion, too. Yes. Uh, Both of those are very relevant. And both of those also got their cost and other things adjusted as well. Yeah. Um, But it's, yes, the, uh, the Tiger Shark gets a stealth point break and profile boost thanks to the Codex. Nice. All right. So before we uh, before we segue away, can I give one really quick shout out? Mm-hmm. Sure, the international correspondent for Forge Narrative podcast can certainly take a moment <laughs> to give a shout out. I, I appreciate that, Pablo, uh, and so do your friends at the Forge Narrative podcast. Rin Stanford in forty ninth place with a humble one win, three losses, playing for the mighty Goths clan of the orcs, ran three gargantuan squiggiths. Wow. <laughs> and I feel like that needs to be commented on, um, both for its boldness and uh, clearly futility in the face of tremendous odds. <laughs> he won his first game. You know, th- that first They were just round... probably scared. They were probably just scared. There's like three dinosaurs. I'm terrified. I got to look up to see who he beat. No, oh, you got to do that. <laughs> while, you do, while you look that up, I'm going to go to the gentleman's GT. Um, now... I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the tone down a little bit uh, because there's a little bit of a message here, um, and it's it's not one I I would like to talk about it, but I feel like it's something I need to bring up, um, and that is slow play, and chess clocks and playing your games and finishing them on time. There's going to be more and more tournaments, and I don't think we've said this enough yet. Um, but if you're new and you want to play in more tournaments and and you feel like your game is up and you can finish your games on time you probably still can't and then that's just the that's just the reality of it is is and and i'm not saying that because you necessarily universal you you are bad or you're a slow player that is not what i'm saying what i'm saying is is we always need to be improving we always need to make sure we're playing quickly or taking armies that play quickly Uh, and that's just um I'm, without naming any names, and I'm not talking about Reese and Frankie, I'm talking about people who attended this event who are friends of mine, um, and I guess the general 
feel uh, of a lot of the conversations was that uh, people were getting slow played and games were ending on turn two, turn three, and th- that's just that's not that's not good for for uh, tournament play. And and, and uh, this isn't this isn't a knock on the TOs or the gentlemen's GT uh, at all. Um, from what I understood, they for all the all the incidents that did happen, they they took care of it, they they handled it, uh, but just. If you have if you have the dice app if you have a chess clock if you have the ability to play quicker in any way take it uh, because yeah you know the ITC missions were designed to go through five turns and there were players who who flat out could not win the game because they picked all progressive secondary missions and their opponents picked things like like the Reaper and Headhunter you know killing uh, secondary missions that can be scored turn one um, so if if you're winning on turn two and the game ends on turn two and you win and you're like oh yeah I I, I got sixteen points um, and my opponent only got five. Like it might not be because your opponent sucks. It might just be because you you know you picked the right missions and the, the game didn't finish. So rather so rather keep than that in mind. I'd like to come from a, another angle. One of the things about like my first games at Beef and Wing is you know you, you got a lot of like when you're playing in a GT, you're really excited to be there. You know you 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 you're also under a bit of pressure because you're in a big room of people who may or may not know 40k a little bit better than you are than you do. Um, and I kind of forgot about those tools. Like I didn't use my dice app immediately, probably until second or third game. And I didn't bring out a chess clock until definitely my fourth game on, on the second day. And both of those things, at least for me anyway, calm me down. I think like mm-hmm. actually trying to play fast for a lot of players slows you down because you um, get kind of a log jam when you're trying to make decisions. And because you're not able to, um, properly budget your time because you're always rushing you know a chess yeah. clock actually stops you from always rushing because you know how much time you have and it makes hurried you more aware play. yeah hurried play isn't fast play yes i exactly and it's also it's it's i think a lot of people are reticent to try chess clocks even even just be like hey man, like i was like look i'm playing slow i want to use a chess clock for you are you cool with that and um, it actually wound up speeding me up and calming me down. And that I think is something that people maybe don't realize about it. Like people feel like this thing is being forced on them when really it's a, a great, I don't know, for me, it's a very steadying tool. Yeah, I think a lot of the problem with quote unquote slow play is that people don't realize how long things in their games are taking. Um and chess clocks and this whole push to finish games is not there because people want to force you to play faster so that they can get more points. Obviously, people do want to get more points, but people want to play a full game. It's not fair to you and it's not fair to them if you don't get a full game in. And it may not seem like you're taking a long time, but sometimes you are, and a chess clock just helps you be aware of that. It helps both players be aware of that, well, and I... it, it keeps things moving along. If you see that you're 20 minutes into the game and you haven't even finished deployment yet, that's kind of a cue to you to speed things up, and you probably will speed things up just because you're like, oh man, I'm taking a long time on this. Not because your opponent tells you, hey, you need to go faster, jerk. Just, you're going to look at it and you're going to say, oh, I need to keep going. Or you're going to see that, you know, you've used up two-thirds of your time and it's turn two. 
you're going to keep moving faster at that point. And, um, and you're going to be more efficient with your choices. You're, you're yeah. not going to do the stuff that doesn't matter. Yes, because um, there are a yeah. lot of things that are not that important that you kind of waste time on sometimes. Yep. And if you don't have that time, you won't do that. Yeah. Yeah, and this um, is... Oh, well, one thing too, guys, I, I just want to throw it out. How, how much time do we usually have to play a game of 40K? Theoretically or in I mean, reality? I mean, okay, realistically... Two and a half. Two, realistically, two hours and 15 minutes. Two hours. Honestly, yeah. between setting up, getting to your... Talking, you know, talking to your opponent, figuring out everything. Like, we're not mm-hmm. actually... You know, they might be two hour, 45 minute, three hour rounds. Well, you know, we, we I'm don't gonna actually cut, I'm going to cut you off right... I'm going to cut Go you ahead. off right there because I, I was trapping you into a thought experiment. No, Uh-oh. the answer is you have 75 minutes. Ooh, and I think that's yeah. really... I think that's really the problem that that that's underlying is everyone thinks I have two and a half hours to play this game. You don't, you have Mm -hmm. 75 minutes and that's, I think that's, and it's not your fault. If you think, if you think, Oh, whatever we got to, we got so much time, whatever, it's going to be fine. You just don't realize that you really don't have that much time Uh, and you got a lot to get through. And a chess clock, all it does is it helps you budget that time and you can do Mm -hmm. things that you wouldn't be able to do without it. Right. Yeah. And two and, and a half this is hours where... sounds like a lot. It's not as much as no. you think when you're splitting it between two people. Yeah. That and was 100% right there. This is where consummate professionals and tournament veterans uh, do really well. This is this is where they have a distinct advantage. People like Jeff, um, who who I believe you you Val coined the term Robinsonian, which mm-hmm. is beautiful, by the way. Um, and, and there's a reason for that, and that, that's I think. I think the social construct or the the social contract, uh, we all have different ideas of it. Um, but the social contract isn't like I, I'm going to be good friends with my opponent. I'm I'm going to try and like talk with them and have a great time. We're going to laugh and drink beers. Like yeah, that's cool. Like I get that. Uh, but in a tournament environment or when you're trying to to not uh abuse the time that you have and not not uh leave a sour taste in your opponent's mouth. Um, you, you should look at the social contract as more of uh, a contract of civility and, and gamesmanship and, and sportsmanship, not, not necessarily like this guy's going to be my friend. Um, and yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, do that. Like when I go to tournaments and stuff, I usually get the one or two guys who love talking and I'm like, dude, like, they're like, oh, Petey Pop, I love your podcast. I'm like, that's cool. I, I appreciate your listening. Um, let's get this going. And, you know, I just, I kind of just try and push them. Um, there are people like that. There are talkers. I am one of them. Uh, but I talk, I talk while my opponent is playing, and I never talk while I'm, I'm actually playing. Like, I'll, I'll joke around with my opponent while they're playing, and it's actually very annoying. It's just always a trait I've had my entire life. Um, <laughs> uh, so if you ever play me, tell me to shut up when you're moving. Like, please do. I don't, I don't mind. Um, but, uh, just, just remember that, that, if if there comes a point when you guys need to speed up the game at the sacrifice of of maybe a, a pleasant conversation, like that's not like don't take that personally. That's just that's just the reality of you guys are at a tournament. You guys aren't chilling at a bar, relaxing. Yeah. So I don't know. I I don't know how deep this well of slow play at the gentlemen and ladies GT goes. Um, but I mean, it was a pretty star-studded cast too here oh, as well. Right? So yeah. yeah. So let's jump into this. Uh, there. There are a lot of names here I recognize that you guys maybe don't, um, but the the big ones the guy the guy won Aurelio Correa, uh, mm-hmm. who who took a little bit of a break last year and has kind of slowly brought himself back into. It. He's actually a really good player. Um, he he's kind of he kind of made his name with with a Chaos Space Marine list similar to, to Don Hoosen in, in that they he wasn't running Plague Burst Crawlers like Don Hoosen, but he was running a kind of like a Chaosy list like his Chaos list was pretty good. 
Um, then Aaron Wish, uh, a, a favorite of mine, a local favorite of mine, a really good Dark Angels player with a beautiful mm-hmm. Dark Angels army, um, from who always performs really well at the Bay Area Open. Uh, he got second place. And then we had Mitch Pelham, who, of course, you guys yep. have certainly recognized at this point. Uh, Mitch is do- always doing really well. Uh, probably gained some internet infamy with his with his Artemia Pattern Hellhounds list. He, he hit fourth place. He has not given up on. Not at all. He's still, he's still he, doing it. Not letting that no, but he added, stop he added him a shadow sword. Nine. Yeah, which I think it's an interesting twist to the, you know, nine hellhounds and a shadow sword is a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then, you, you know, uh, I want to give Derek Page a shout out. Derek Page, who, who um, yeah. he's a friend, he, you know, he, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, is not a top table performer, consistent top table performer. Derek has beautifully painted armies and goes to these events to have a great time. But Derek went four and one with a uh, Knight Porphyrion. Um, he yep. actually beat Frankie, <laughs> um, which which I thought was really funny. Um, there was there was, that was actually the match that Frankie rolled the thirteen ones in. Um, I believe it was it was thirteen ones to wound with melta guns on the Night Perfarian or with blasters. Ooh. Sorry, it it was like it was like he did like twenty something wounds to it or twenty something hits and wounds to it, and the Night Perfarian passed a bunch, and then there ended up being like thirteen ones. Frankie was like, "Well, that's a, that's a bit of a that's bit rough. of a that happens." Um, but Derek. Not only not only won that game, he won three other games to finish with a four and one record. So it certainly wasn't just luck on his part uh, mm-hmm. for his performance. And then farther down, you had James Carmona, really really good chaos player down in San Diego. Herb Schaffer, Mark Wright. Hey, who, you just you just uh, you just skimmed over a uh, another top eight orcs finish, by the way. Benjamin ben, Jerick. Ben Ben Yurick, I apologize. I'm trying to get through this. Uh, we're hitting about an hour now. Um, I understand. So, <laughs> I, I'm also, so I'm in. I'm in a secret. I'm in a secret uh, orc group with with him and some other orc players on this list. Uh-huh. Uh, and he would be mad if I didn't shout him out. Congrats, yeah, and, Ben. And and his wife Danielle was also playing Eldar. Um, oh yeah. I, guess I assume it's his wife. Could be his sister. They both have the last name Jurek. One, you know. I'm, I'm just gonna assume. Sa- I'm gonna assume safe. There's a lot of you know husband wife power couples popping up in in 40k. So. I'm gonna assume wife, and then Don Houston was there as well. Didn't perform yep. very well, but but Don Houston was there, um, and this just looked yeah, like a really solid. Oh yeah, yeah. This just looked a really solid cast. It, it basically San Diego or Southern California's finest out here at the Gentleman's GT. A lot of draws. A surprising yeah. number. Yeah. What was it? Just standard ITC missions? Yeah, it was standard ITC missions, like the other three tournaments hmm. that we. We talked about it. it Weird. It's actually really funny because Reese was talking about this the other day, and we got into a bit of a, a debate. Um, he was saying that there's a lot of draws, and I was like, Reese, there's there really isn't a lot of draws, and he's like, Well, yeah, there is. And then when I was looking at tournaments that Reese has been into, he usually drew most of most of the time. I uh, like at the London GT, for example, he drew in the Invitational, um, right. and there were draws all over in the tournaments he's been in, and also the LVO. There are a lot of draws, uh, but. Outside of frontline gaming tournaments and race tournaments, there isn't a lot of draws. Yeah, I don't typically see very many draws. It is unusual to see even one draw at like an RTT level of right. But it's the BAO last year, for example, the BAO there were a ton of draws. There Uh, was a lot. SoCal Open, there were a few draws to make into the top table. The LVO, there were a few key draws. It it's it's really interesting because when Reese was pointing out to me, I was like, oh crap. Reese just sees a lot of draws in his tournament mm-hmm. experience, and and it's not the case everywhere else. So I think I think it's just the Reese juice. Yeah, it's all he's it is. doing something to it, I guess. Yep. 
that there's just something about about Reese being at your tournament. There's going to be a lot of draws, so keep that in mind, Tios. When when Reese Robbins comes to town. All right, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and go into the next segment of the podcast. Uh, one fair warning, I'm going to lower the volume down on the next segment, so you guys might want to raise your volume up. Uh, and that's just because I had to balance the volume. Uh, there were some some audio, audio problems, uh, so I had to lower the volume overall to get Jeff to um, raise the volume on his mic. Kind of kind of weird editing stuff. Um, it was a pain to edit, but it's there. So... so that way, if it's a little little softer, that's why. Uh, I'm going to make the commercial a little softer too, so so it's not a terrible transition. But um, I don't want I don't want you guys to be to think there's something wrong with your radios or anything like that. Um, Sean Val, would you guys like to give any other shout-outs before you guys get going? Uh, if there's anyone who's going to be at the Boise Cup GT this coming weekend, I look forward to seeing you there. Pull me aside, say hi. I'm terrible with faces and names, so. Just introduce yourself and say hello to me. There's going to be a lot of other super famous 40k people. Captain A will be there as well as other folks. So I encourage you to come down and uh, see who you can see. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks guys for for having me on tonight. It was a real fun chat. Uh, and second of all, you probably all see this coming, but uh, TGX is about a month away <laughs> up here in Toronto. That's the tabletopgamingx.com. And uh, we actually just finally cracked uh, 30 players, so we're, we're comfortably a GT. And, I, you know, this next month is always a big month for, for, uh, for tournaments. Get your tickets. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we can push major size with this one, and I'm super excited. So thanks for letting me plug that. Yeah. Val, you forgot something, something crucial important that i think our viewers our listeners need to know go ahead today's your birthday oh it is my birthday it's my, it's it's uncle heffelfinger and and the bruce rain version of uncle uncle heffelfinger's <laughs> birthday as well well uh yes thank you it, it's it, i know you're recording later than normal it's 30 minutes until your birthday is over uh but happy birthday to you happy Aww. birthday to you this might Happy be one of the f- birthday. This might be one of the first birthday wishes I've ever uh, ever uh, heard on a podcast. Because <laughs> we're, we're not only dating myself, but the podcast as well. <laughs> well, you know, we're we're family. I, I I I've never I gotten a chance to to say Happy Birthday to someone on a podcast either. This is, this is a hallmark occasion for sure. Uh, but Happy Birthday, Val! Hope you enjoy your twenty first birthday. Appreciate. It. Well, actually, it's thirty four, and hilariously, I. Uh, have been telling people I was 34 all the way through my 33rd year. So uh, here we go, 34 round two. Fair no, 34 Canadian is like 33 Americans. So there you go. The same. I think I, I think I'm probably like 20 in American years, but whatever. Okay, we'll see you guys right after this commercial break. Hey guys, I just want to take a brief moment to talk about our eternal sponsor, Frontline Gaming. Frontline Gaming hired me a few years ago at a time when I needed something to throw my passion into. I hadn't found the right game and the right community to fit into. Yet recent Frankie took me under their wing, trained me, taught me all about the hobby that we all love and enjoy, and now here I am, two years into a podcast that I love recording every week with thousands of listeners. And it's all thanks to Frontline Gaming. So, if you could take a moment, go to frontlinegaming.org, 
purchase some GW product. We sell it at 15% off MSRP uh, with free shipping for orders over $100. You can also purchase any of our FLG mats or ITC terrain, which is perfect for both your tournaments and your local garages, game stores, anything you might need it for. And finally, I run the Frontline Gaming Secondhand Shop, a personal project of mine in which I buy and sell used models from you guys at premium prices. Uh, not only do we make it a business, because of course we, we are a business, we need to make money, we need to keep the lights on, uh, but we price our prices competitively to get newer players into the game at discounted prices. Because I know I blanched at the prices GW represented to me, and as a new player in the hobby, I almost didn't get into it. If it wasn't for Reese and Frankie, I probably never would even be playing 40k. However, I found eBay, which is where I now sell our used items, where you can purchase models at up to 50% off MSRP. It's a great place to go. Go to FrontlineGaming.org. We're always there to help the community, and we plan to for a very long time. Here I am with Jeff and Scarry of Scardcast, and of course Jeff of Chapter Tactics, and a guest on multiple podcasts now. He is he's now 40k, even more 40k famous than he was before. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Um, so, as I mentioned before, we're here, we brought Scarry on because he won a major with Dark Eldar. Uh, now, I know you guys have probably seen a lot of Dark Eldar lists pop up. They come out in different flavors. Uh, so I brought Scarry on here to talk about his list and and why he chose the units he did and to talk about his one his run. He went 5-0 and at a 60-plus person tournament, the major. Um, congratulations, Scarry. It's, it's, it's a feat I've never accomplished. Why, thank you, sir. Uh, so, so go ahead and just talk to us about your list. Uh, why did you pick the units that you did? Um, what was going through your mind? What, was it a meta call, or is it just something you've been running, um, you know, like, randomly that you've just been practicing? Well, you might think that it was some sort of uh, inherent genius, uh, but um, <laughs> um, I took the Dark Eldar list that I did simply because um, I built the list while I was doing one of my uh, live um video feeds on the channel with everybody that was listening and we kind of all built the list together um, really yeah <laughs> so i kind of just like put it out in the air and i was like i think this would be fun and then people were like why don't you do this and why don't you do that and i was like "Ooh, i should probably do this and it was it was just like it was like a community driven thing it was really fun um and then uh, at the end of it it uh, it just ended up being that i had just enough points to squeeze in a, a Forge World Tantalus, so I squeezed one of those guys in. Um, but the list itself, do you want me to go through the list itself? Or, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, for those of you who... who uh, just go and do the bare, ba the bare bones, Scaria. For those of you who Perfect. want the full list, uh, go to Best Coast Pairings, download that BCP Player app. It'll be right there under the TBMC ITCGT. That is a mouthful of an event. Yeah. But it was yeah. an event held uh, in uh, north of uh, Toronto by the Basement Collective crew. So, I had three detachments, two battalions, and a spearhead detachment. I had a Cabal of the Black Heart um, battalion with two Archons, three units of five Cabalite Warriors, three Triple Disintegrator Ravagers, um, 
and two raiders. And then I had a um, cult of strife, so witch battalion, with Lilith Hesprax and a succubus with an archiglaive. I had three squads of five witches with no upgrades. And I had a Tantalus from Forge Worlds. And then I had a Hemonculus Coven Spearhead Detachment of Prophets of Flesh with two units of two Talos. Uh, one of each in the unit was armed with a pair of Haywire Camp guns and one was armed with a Stinger Pod. And then I had one Kronos, which is the a single Kronos with a little Flamer and the Spirit Probe that allows units within six to reroll ones to wound in combat. Okay. Uh, so so there's a there's a lot of so many questions about your list. Um the I guess the, the, the main one is is why why did you feel like you should choose the Tantalus? It's not exactly a common choice for Dark Eldar lists. It isn't. Um well first of all I love ITC because you can run Forge World, which is great. So I've owned I've owned the Tantalus forever, and I've never taken it to a, a, a competitive event. So my the main the main reason for me taking one is because I just hadn't been able to run it in an event yet. Um, so that's the number one. And number two is it's uh, it reduced my number of drops because you can put sixteen models inside, so I could put either. Cavalite warriors or witches or you know the all, most a lot of the characters in there to, to hide them um, and lower the drop counts of the army and it was like adding two or even three more ravages to the list without adding ravages which was great. So gentles come out cheaper than three ravages. Uh, three ravages is three seventy five with the disintegrated cannons. It's four hundred points for a tantalus. But you get the transport capacity of two and of one and a half raiders, and then it doesn't have as many shots as a uh, dis, as a disin- as two disintegrated ravages. However, they are strength eight shots, um, and with the cult of strife, there's a stratagem that allows it to shoot twice. Okay, well, that's really good. So that's that's uh, you might as well have two ravagers when it's shooting twice, or three, exactly. three or three ravagers. So that was a cool little uh, little tidbit there that really that really kind of made it worth taking. Okay. Uh, and then, so you, you mentioned that you crafted this list with with your on Scardcast with your your Patreons, I imagine your patrons. Well, I do a I do a live feed every Sunday afternoon or night on the YouTube channel, and okay. so you know just yeah, it was with everybody who was watching. That's that's really that's really interesting. So this is like a true true born netlist, right here. Just uh, <laughs> born of the internet. Um, yeah, it was really fun. Okay, uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about your games. Um, first off, Jeff's here. So did you play any custodes while you were out there? Didn't play any custodes, no. But there were plenty of custodes, um, in, and uh, and they did they did well, I believe. They you know there was there uh, although. Tesseract Necrons really kind of gave them a bit of an issue okay. with all those mobile uh, wounds. In your playtesting, have you played any Shield Captain bike lists or anything like that? I have played uh, Shield Captains, um, usually in support of some big stuff like Imperial Guard Shadow Swords or um, you know Knights or things like that. 
So I do have experience playing against them, um, but I didn't actually face them at the event. I kind of want to. I want to ask you questions about the meta evolving forward. But before we kind of get to that, I, I do want to ask you about your tournament. Obviously, you went five and zero and did very very well. But is there any units in your list that you're kind of like not as sure about, or you don't like, or what were the standouts as well? Kind of the ups and downs of Dark Eldar right now. Okay, well, um, the the best units in the best unit in the book for me was the Talos. Um, they're yeah. absolutely fantastic. They're crazy, crazy good. Um, they do everything really well for less than a hundred points, and it's it's just the the efficiency is brutal. Combine that with a four plus invulnerable save, high toughness, a feel no pain, rerolling charge ranges, hitting on two plus after turn three in combat. You name it, they fly too. So, so that's a plus as well. Nice. Um, the 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 only unit that was hit or miss was the Tantalus. Like it did really well, but it was one of those things that if I took it out, I put in different things. Right. Um, other than that, the witches were really good, even though they were really small five man units. Lilith Hesperax is an absolute tank, and she would guarantee me headhunter almost every single game because mm. she'd just run in and she's small and one model so you could squeeze her through screens if they didn't like measure the screens properly and just jump from one character to another just murdering like support <laughs> characters essentially exactly um, like what she's supposed to be doing yeah uh, it's it, she was great and because she's cult of strife as well if you declare a charge against two two characters you can run in murder one then use the stratagem to jump into the next one and murder him too. Yeah. What about the Kronos? You had one Kronos. Did you I like did. I did. The Kronos was surprising. Um, I actually would like wouldn't mind running two Kronos in a unit. I found that having uh, uh, the Kronos was very useful, especially around the Talos, being able to re-roll the macro scalpel wounds. His macro scalpel is a strength seven, so they're wounding most things on threes or twos and uh, even vehicles on fours, and having the Kronos around for the reroll ones to wound really came in handy. I imagine it never got shot, too, right? Like, people just um, ignored the Kronos? Yeah, they, they target, you know, if anybody was worth us, like, I, I'm, like, unless I sacrificed it, like, in my fourth game, I ran the Kronos up and, and sacrificed the Kronos, because it's one of those units that sometimes you can use, but other times can act differently it has like a flamer that you can shoot at stuff mm -hmm. it has it and if it does any wounds in combat it can like heal a wound on something nearby so it's versatile i i like the chronos and it was very very cheap for like 70 points or whatever all right uh you know a lot of a lot of people like to include eldar in with their dark eldar kind of mix and match um is there a reason why you didn't go with eldar uh, obviously other than the reason that you, you wanted to stick probably with pure Dark Eldar being a Dark Eldar player. Um, but if you were to add Eldar, do you think they would help your list more? Or do you think that you can just completely ignore them? Um, Dark Eldar are great as a solo book. That's I, I want to make sure that's clear. I do think that adding Eldar in makes the Dark Eldar book incredibly good. Uh, especially with something like a small Elatok battalion with rangers and a Doom Farseer. Because Doom really helps things like like disintegrates Ravagers and Lances and Poison, and it's all around a fantastic power. And then as well, you add in something like Jink, um, and then force the enemy to take negative modifiers to their armor safe. And that combination of Doom, Jink, 
and then a screen with the ranges really, really supplements the Drukari well. Okay. Um, so let, I guess we could go ahead and move on to your, the games that you played, unless there's anything else you wanted to add about your list. Is there any cool little tricks or, or things that maybe we didn't cover? Well, one of the other reasons I ran three different detachments, which cult Hemonculus Covenant and Cabal, is simply because of the Alliance of Agony stratagem to give myself essentially three warlord traits in the game. So um, I was ha every single game I started the game with fourteen command points, and you spend one command point to make Lilith Hesprax a warlord, so her sixes to hit in combat became three hits instead of one. And then, you, oh yeah, she's fantastic. And then um, you make the Homunculus Warlord and giving the uh, Prophets of Flesh Warlord trait that gives him a once per game reroll. It's like a free command point. And it gives him a, uh, he gives the army D3 command points. So you're starting with either 14 to 16 command points depending on that roll. And you have three cool abilities for your characters. All right. Okay, well... I mean, that's that sounds really cool. And I, I like that they added a lot of flavor to the Dark Eldar Codex. I've, I've liked the Dark Eldar, your lists that, that you've been seeing up in tournaments. Um, so let's move on to your your uh, your m matches that you played, starting with your round one matchup. Okay, so round one I played against a Co Valhallen Conscript Imperial Guard tank, um, like artillery batteries... Uh, included and then Blood Angel support army. So um, uh, he had sixty cult like conscripts, all with the bolter of the bolt pistol of Never Run Away, um, supported by Catachin mortars and uh, basilisks and wyverns. So okay. that was uh, like a, just a board control and, and heavy firepower sort of list, supported by nine Sanguinary Guard, thirteen Death Company. Captain Smashface with a Thunderhammer Storm Shield and a Chaplain. Okay, it's kind of kind of like your normal Imperial Blood Angels list with Guard. Um, and did you have any problem at all killing all the Guard? I'm sure your Talos probably did a lot of work there. The the Talos walk in. They have something called Chain Flails, so they they walk in with ten strength six attacks that reroll wounds. So when you're running in with four Talos, I was doing, you know, 40 attacks on a big blob of conscripts, uh, hitting on threes or twos if it was turn three, re-rolling all wounds, and he was just lifting models off the board. And then once they got through the screen, they just tagged all the tanks and, and murdered them as well. Okay. He, he didn't, it sounds like he didn't really have a... I guess once the Blood Angels drop down and kill whatever they're going to kill, it doesn't sound like he has much shooting to to kill anything else in your list? Well, yes, he didn't really have much shooting, but the trick there was I just screened out his deep strikers. So I put all my, like, ravages and important stuff in the middle and then put an entire, like, perimeter around them so he wasn't able to deep strike anywhere close. So when he, what, he did deep strike, it just was a matter of turning the disintegrators onto them and just murdering them all as well. All right. Uh, so let's go on your game two. Okay, so game two, I played a Iron Hands Dreadnought Spam Army. Um, had a, a Fordral Sakaran tank with um, like all the cool guns it has. And he had a 
Derodeo Dreadnought with like some cool auto cannon sort of guns. And then he had two different Contemptor Dreadnoughts, one with four last cannons and one with four auto cannons. And then he had a couple of the Primaris Dreadnoughts with like the assault cannons and the power fists. Holy cow. Um, and then he had, <laughs> then he had, uh, yeah, there's a lot of Dreadnoughts. Then he had two biker tech marines with conversion beamers, a captain that he turned into a chapter master for reroll hits, and he had uh, three units of scouts to screen his army. Weird. Okay. Um. So how did this game? I, I imagine. I imagine it, it came down. Did you go first? Um. I did, and uh, I killed all the dreadnoughts that didn't have invulnerable saves. And then when he had a chance to shoot me back, it was one of those sorts of games where he shot four last cannons at my tant at my tantalus and did two damage. So after that, no. it just it just yeah it just it just snowballed terribly for my opponent. Felt kind of bad for him, but you know it was like it was all over. But the fat lady singing at that point. All right. So, um, do you think that? Do you think that if he'd gone first, you, you probably would have lost, or do you think what what would your what would you have done if he'd gone first and rolled like average on his on his damage rolls? Well, I had deployed thinking I was going second, um, so I deployed planning on going second. I was deep striking all my ravages, and my tantalus was way in the back, out of range of most of his units. Okay, all right. <laughs> what about game three? So game three, I played Chris. Um, he's one of uh, the local gamers here, Chris Rice. Not the Chris Rice like that's in like seventh place, but the second Chris Rice from Canada. Um, and he was running uh, Tyranids. He was running nine Carnifexes, Old One-Eye, three Flying Hive Tyrants, uh, Malanthrope, and uh, three Units of Rippers. Did the Carnifexes have Venom Cannons? He had three with the Venom Cannons. He had three with... Uh, all the devourer shots, and he had three mm. close combat oriented ones. Okay. And uh, that came down to that came down to my Talos holding all the Carnifexes long enough for me to create enough room between them and my shooting units while I killed the Hive Tyrants to then have enough room that he wasn't able to reach me. And how did you kill the Hive Tyrants? Um. Lots of disintegrator shots, hmm. and um, and then I would charge. Like my characters went in and sacrificed themselves dearly to put as many wounds as possible on the high tyrants. Okay. Do you think so? I guess this is a question more for Jeff than, than you, Scary. But um, I, I've seen a lot of card effects builds flying around the Tyranids list. Do you, do do people like? Do you do you think people should mix up between melee and shooties, or do you think they should just go all shooty or all melee, or what's the deal there? Well, it's it's a kind of funny, like, hardcore Warhammer question, where it's like, in a lot of games, you're going to be really thankful that you have the close combat ones, because if you don't put close combat weapons on them, they can't kill anything. There's their strength six, four attacks, hitting on fours, and no AP, so they just do nothing at all, for the most part. Um, you, like, scouts can hold them up for almost ever, right? Um, but then if you do the shooting one, so people are doing like nine Carnifexes with Venom Cannons. That's strength nine minus two or three, three damage, I think it is. Ridiculous. It's a lot. And it's D3 shots too, by the way. Yeah, um, it's, Chris found that it, it was very, very good against certain matchups and very, very terrible against certain matchups. 
So it was very either he would win or just lose, especially on like a hammer and anvil deployment where you have to yep. you have to really just put so much ground between you and your opponent, even with the heavy venom cannons. He um, he then later like last week or this week that came up took his regular list. Um, which is 60 Gene Stealers and Swarm Lord, and, and you yeah. know, very, it's a very hyper aggressive list to the Beef and Wing in Buffalo, and came in, sec- in seventh overall uh, from a 68 person tournament. So he, he just found that was a lot more versatile as well. Yep. Yeah, the Carnifex is really fun, but that is absolutely true. No matter how you kid him out, you're just one bad matchup or another. Like if, I find if you do what he did, which is you have a little bit of all three, you're probably. The idea is you're all comers, but I, I personally think you end up being in more bad matchups. Because your shooting's mediocre, then your close combat's mediocre, and your opponent can just kind of pick down whatever is like the scarier part for them, I guess. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Alright, so let's talk about... So now, now I notice uh, you've been scoring less points in your round, your, in the later round, Scary. So let's talk about round four. So round four... Um, was a fantastic match against Chris Haynes, who's the uh, captain for the ETC team in Canada. And he was running a Thousand Sun Smite Spam list. So, for anybody who doesn't know, you know, Thousand Suns can do Smite really well. They get an extra six inches to their range, and they don't suffer the negative modifiers, which is pretty snazzy. Um... And he was running two blobs of 40 cultists. He was running uh, a big unit of 25 Zangors. He was running 3,000 Sun Demon Princes and one um, Chaos Demon Prince. And then he was running Arman, a Shaman, 18 Enlightened with bows. And a couple of uh, backfield objective holder conscript units. I mean, conscripts, I mean, cultists. So a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, did you. How, how did this game go? So this game, um, he can put out so many wounds with Smite. So in this game, the Tantalus was key. Because I put the Tantalus right at the front of my army and sacrificed it on turn one. He went first. He jumped up at me, and essentially all the smites that he did and all the mortal wounds went to the Tantalus, and I was hoping that would happen, because he killed the Tantalus pretty easily. Uh, All the guys got out, and I placed it so they could be behind a a wall, and he kind of just got really aggressive. In in my first turn, I essentially almost nuked an entire unit of cultists, and he tried to tie the trait of them the second turn, and he let vected me, him. I uh, vected the heck out of that. Oh one. no! <laughs> Vect, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know how in, how in, like incredibly powerful Vect is, Vect we don't talk to people that don't know that scar. Is so so good. Vect oh. is just so good. Anyway, so I I tied, vected tied of traitors. So it, he for, it forced him to put his um his unit of Zangors as a as a secondary screen on his army. And then what happened was I. The Talos then hit and just wiped out his all his screens on turn two. So it was just his characters right in front of my army. And he hadn't targeted my Ravagers because of killing the, the Tantalus first. 
And uh, so he jumped up, wasn't able to kill enough, and in one turn I killed like four demon princes and a, and a shaman Jeez. with all my shooting, and then Lilith Hesperax just runs in and murdered a bunch of demon princes. It was, it was, it was good. What shooting yeah. do you give your towels, by the way? Uh, I, I, I like the Stingapod, which is 2d6 strength 5 shots, and I like the uh, Haywire, the two Haywire Blasters, yeah. which is like an AP minus 1 bolter shot. Right, so they get two D three AP minus one bolter shots that can hurt tanks. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. That's it's a pretty good, brilliant move on sacking the the tantalus. By the well, way, well, I kind of had to because I knew that. And so what I did is in that game is when I sacrificed the Chronos as well. So I sacrificed the Chronos and a small unit of witches and my Hemonculus on the second turn, so they would soak up all the smites. And uh, and that just allowed the rest of my army to focus on the enlightened because uh, disintegrator cannons will murder enlightened pretty quickly because they're only two wounds at toughness four. And uh, I killed I killed twelve enlightened in that one round of shooting. And then uh, and then yeah and then he went, yeah it was it was it was like one of those games where the 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 rope the tense rope is really really tight. And all it takes is that one snap, and then it just completely goes in the one way or the other, depending on which way the game snaps. Yeah, and that's actually that's actually a, not a lot of people I, I see do that. Um, but that's probably the best way to deal with smite spam is to just put stuff that you don't mind dying right in front of them, um, and then hope that they or or bait them into putting their characters into bad positions, and then all your character killers like your Liliths and your Ravagers and your Seraphim or because whatever whatever you have um, just kills all their smiters and then from there it's just a big ugly battle in the middle of the board. Yeah, exactly. So that was so it was all about like just knowing what to sacrifice and knowing like where to not go because he had like some big units getting recon and stuff like that. So I ignored a bit of his army that was getting him points only to really concentrate my strength where I needed it. Okay. Uh, so so let's let's talk about your Devon Swan game. So this is you won this game by two points. I did. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very, your very lowest close. scoring low scoring game. Um, so so Devon Swan was running a craft world list, correct? Uh, Inari, yeah. Inari. Okay. Tell tell us about this list because I I know I've heard of Devon Swan before. I know he's a pretty good player. Devon Swan is a fantastic player. Yeah. Him and I are great like good friends. Like we we've met at multiple tournaments. It's really fun. And uh, going into this game. He had won one game, and I had won one game at like big events. So we're, we're evenly matched, and he shows up with a list that has 18 Shining Spears and three Wave Serpents full of Guardians and Cat Lady, and, uh, and essentially got ready to just destroy me because a, it's a very tough matchup for the Drakari when you're dealing with Wave Serpents and all my army is Disintegrator Cannons. Essentially, um, <clears throat> so he. This game came down to a couple of different things, but just to give you an idea, on his first turn, he scored nine points, and I scored one point. Oh, dang! So I had I had to claw my way back from that the entire game, and I did seize the initiative on him, which really kind of gave me a chance. And we played Hammer and Anvil, which gave me another chance. But essentially what happened was I stole the initiative, 
I was able to deep strike my ravages to a position where I could shoot uh, one unit of uh, shining spears. My aim was to kill one unit. He puts the minus one to hit on them. I fail Vect with a reroll. So that was kind of how that, that turn started. And I was unable to kill with all my shooting nine shining spears with disintegrator cannons. And two of them were left alive. And then in his turn, he just jumped that other unit all the way into my lines together with an Autark and murdered all three of my Ravagers, murdered the Raider that Lilith was inside and um, essentially got got up. But he got really aggressive and I think that was his downfall because he because he got so aggressive, his characters were close to the middle of the board and then my Talos were able to make a, a couple of long charges and target all of his characters and I almost killed his uh, Cat Lady I killed a warlock, I finished off the two jet bikes that were left, and then he was dealt, he had to deal with them while I was able to mop up the shining spears and then use the tantalus to maneuver the army up on one flank while putting all my characters on the objectives for the bonus points, because that's the fifth mission, right? The three different characters on three different objectives. Uh, so I had I had to cash in on the bonus point pretty much every single turn after that. Which uh, then, okay. yeah, so it came down to, at the end of the game, on the last turn, he was still two points up on me. So I had to score enough points to get past him and stop him from scoring enough points to even me out. And luckily enough, I was able to do that. Okay. Cool. Uh, what did you, what secondaries did you pick that game? Well, head, Headhunter, obviously, right? So I, I did take Headhunter. I had Recon as well, because I knew I had to split my army up to get the multiple objectives. And I did get Old School as well. Because I, I was hoping that I was going to take out one of the, the jet bike units in the first turn. Or one of the, the the ranger units that he put up. However, that was not the case. I didn't score that, but I and I didn't score Warlord. I only scored Linebreaker and Last Strike from that one. Okay. Uh, what, are, what are your opinions on the secondaries for your list? Um, what, what did, I mean, I, I think Headhunter is probably... You mentioned it a lot, so I imagine Headhunter was one you picked almost every game. Um, uh, just it, honestly, secondaries are one of those things that it it totally depends on the matchup and the style of list that you're playing against. Because you can find yourself hamstrung if you pick Headhunter and they hide all their characters, for example. But um, old school was a popular one because I knew I could kill one thing at least on the first turn, and if I was going for old school. For example, against the Tyranids, I went for Kingslayer to try and kill like their, their Warlord anyway. And then um, Big Game Hunter was another popular one as well, because a lot of people had units with 10 wounds or more. Okay. <clears throat> so um, it sounds it sounds like you did really well. It sounds like you, you strategically um, you played really well. Uh, were there any army lists in your practice games that, or factions that you think probably could have given you a hard time oh uh absolutely i feel one of the toughest matchups for the list i was playing would have been a full mechanized eldar army so you know wave serpents fire prisons and uh either hemlocks or crimson uh, crimson hunters uh just simply because they have the speed and the range and they can really negate a lot of the damage that's thrown down range while targeting the slower moving elements like talos or grotesques Okay. And how, how do you think you do against Jeff's Custodes list? 
Um, I would name? I would love to play against a, a Custodes list. Um, I feel that I feel that the the Talos and the Grotesques, especially when I when I actually use my Grotesque and Rack list, I feel they would um, put up put up a quite a fight because they're they're very they're very hardy, and you wouldn't expect it from the Drukari to be so resilient. What about uh, knights with the you know they just came out? There's gonna be a lot of people fielding their knights. How do you feel as a Dark Eldar player just moving forward? I'm confident. I definitely want to test it. Historically, personally, I've had a lot of issues playing against armies that involve lots of knights. Um, so I think it's not necessarily the the army of the list I'm playing. I think it's more tactic. Tactically, I feel like I need to practice more against them simply because mm-hmm. I don't see them as often as I could. Um, with the increased survivability or the increased um, bonuses of the Talos, though, I feel like uh, Talos will go toe-to-toe with a knight and rip it to shreds. Like a, like a Talos unit? A single Talos? Uh, no, no. Like three Talos for under 300 points, uh, you know, running into one knight, I feel like the Talos would, would put some work on that knight, especially with the reroll wound stratagem. Yeah, yeah. How are you going to charge Valiant, though, bruh? It's got a re-rolling 3d6 flame or strength 7 minus 2, 2 damage. Um, I'd probably charge in a Hemonculus with a Vex and a Mask first. Yeah. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 think, I think Jeff's got a point. I think close combat, like a 5 Night Gallantless, might be something that gives you a little trouble. Five night gallantless. Uh, well, yeah. if if yeah, if it, honestly, it would be just a matter of move blocking them and and just That's targeting true. one night at a time. To be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't see nightless. Uh, I, I see your list beating up on nightless. Um, just because they don't they don't really you, one night will have access to a three bindvuln, but other than that, the best the night will have is like a four bindvuln. So you you'd be able to delete two or three nights. I feel at least the end of the game. Yeah, well, if you can, you know, nuke a knight every turn or a knight and a half or whatever, you're on the right track. But I feel that knights, a good knight list, will have either Imperial Guard support for the uh, command point farm or something like shield captains or or some sort of support element. I feel like the best knight armies will have that support element and yeah. will not be just knights. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I just uh, knights are they're still really expensive. Um I don't know, but you're right. Um, I, I'd, I'd be curious to see what people come up with. Uh, I know you can fit three fully kitted out knights and um, probably even a knight Castellan or a knight Valiant uh, and run still like 800 points in guard. So um, so that's pretty good. Uh, well, probably not 800 points, but a lot of guard bodies, like like 60, 60 infantry squads, dudes, a bunch of, bunch of characters, you know, maybe a wyvern or two. Well, I've seen a very fun knight list that has one of the new shooty knights. Castellan. Um, the Castellan knight. Has two of the close combat knights. Um, has a uh, battalion of Imperial Guard, so just three units, ten with a couple of commanders, and then runs Mephiston, Captain Smashface, and three squads of scouts. Which I yeah. think I think wow. that sort of list is going to be um, very versatile. Yeah, that, that sounds yeah. like a really good list. Uh, all right, all right, Scary. Well, well, thank you very much for t- talking to us about your your tournament win. It's nice to get winners on the podcast. So far, we only have Jeff, um, so so we're a little uh, <laughs> winner light right now. 
<laughs> Don't be so hard on him. No, he tried really hard to represent America. It's true. He, he's Jeff's doing great. Um, he's our he's our hometown hero. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thanks very much for coming on, Scary. Thank you uh, for having you guys, me. If you guys like Scary, want to hear more Dark Eldar goodness, or if you have any questions, hit him up uh, on Scarcast. You can go to YouTube and check him out. Um, That's you can right. even build a winning list with him. Absolutely, I would not. I love helping people out. So that's S K A R E D cast on YouTube. All right, and and one final question before before we let you go, Scary. Uh, did you go to the 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 wings and the beef and wing the beef and wing tournament? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not. I was unable to go, but I do have plans to go to the Capitals and Bloodbath. It's happening in August, and I'm also a member of the. Canadian ETC team, so I'll be in Croatia in August as well. Nice. August is going to be a good, busy month for you. Definitely. Alright. Uh, are you going to be bringing your Dark Eldar to, to the ETC? Maybe, maybe not. Oh, these ETC players. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pulling a Sean Naden on us. <laughs> you know Scar's content. You might know how silly the question I was, though. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You're right. You're right. That was a very silly question. But, um... There's all no right. silly questions, only that are silly questions. You're right, I'm, silly. I'm definitely a <laughs> silly person. <laughs> Alright, thanks, thanks very much for coming on. Sorry. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Uh, and then Jeff, thanks very much for coming on. I know I know you, you've got an insanely busy schedule. Hey, I'm throwing um, the gauntlet down now. You should come to Canada and have a game. And we should, we should we will televise it for the world. And it will be great. We will be in I love it. I think that would be fantastic. I honestly feel like we'd make some, we'd make some magic happen. Yeah, I gotta see if there's ever a term in Vancouver that's not too far from my home. Uh, there, there was one. There's one in Vancouver recently. I think Val was talking about it. I think he talked about it on the last podcast. Oh, there's totally we'll tournaments everywhere now. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's tournaments everywhere in Canada. Uh, I'd like to go. Out, where's the capital city bloodbath? Is that like in the capital city? Canada? No, it's in the capital <laughs> city. Fair <laughs> enough. In Ottawa, um, it's already at over a hundred players. Um, so it's it's going to be the, the largest uh, singles event we, that, that Canada's seen in, in a very, very long time, which is awesome. And there's a space yeah, for more, so if people sign up, they'll just add, keep on adding tables. The, the event is, is held in a giant aircraft hangar, essentially. So there's, wow. there's tons and tons of room. I highly recommend it. It's the, the 17th and 18th of August, I believe. Um, so you've got mar- like a, a variety of people coming to that event and, and it'll definitely be the event to come to this year in Canada so I'm super excited about that yeah it's, it's Ottawa's not too far away from from DC and like Nova right in terms of I guess relatively like compared to San Diego where it's like halfway across the continent but um but it, it's like what like an eight hour drive from from Nova I have no clue but they no are flights to go directly there so yeah of course well, check it out, guys. Capital City Bloodbath. Also, check out Scary. Uh, thanks, you guys, very much for listening. Once again, if you guys have any questions or comments, or if you guys want to know more about tournaments in Canada or the ITC, you can always email me, frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and have a good one.